Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It's good to be back, Owen, and we're uh, unfortunately back to doing remote recordings for the podcast, but uh, hopefully that's for the best down the long run. Yeah, that's it. Melbourne is uh, the most livable city on earth, apparently, <laughs> and that just happens to be where we are, and we've got a few cases of coronavirus, so we're at home. Um, what are we talking about today? Yeah, so today I thought we'd revisit a topic we have discussed before, which is diversification, but applying it more broadly to your entire financial picture rather than just talking about it in terms of investing. And both Owen and I thought this was particularly relevant right now because everything going on, it's more important than ever to sort of think about diversification and look at your whole financial picture through that lens and think about what can you what is good diversification, what is bad diversification, when do you go too far that it stops you making any decision or you end up wasting a lot of money and what are the things like where you source your news or where you get advice, like how should you think about diversification in that framework as well. So we're just going to talk a little bit about those things today, talk a bit about how we think about diversification in our own financial picture Um, and also, yeah, can diversification work against you and when, how much is too much? Mm. It's a really good conversation to have. Not many people appreciate diversification and the power of understanding, I guess, more holistically, not just an investment portfolio or whatever you may be investing in, um, not just thinking about diversification in that sense, but taking it more broadly to your life. I think most people underestimate diversification or just the need for it until it's too late Mm. and I think we said a few months ago or I think I said in this show that one of the things that always struck me is why the the rich get richer during a market crash or during a recession or something like that and the poor get poorer and it's sadly it's because the the poor people forget to diversify Mm. and I don't just mean diversify in terms of investments we're going to talk about all different types of ways that wealthier people tend to look outside of just a, like a one-track way of thinking or strategy um, and apply many different lenses to many different problems. So let's just jump straight into it, Kate. How does Money Smart, the official, I guess, financial literacy body, define diversification? Yeah, so Money Smart defines diversification as an investment strategy that lowers your profile, sorry, portfolio's risk and helps you get more stable returns. So that's quite a, I guess, simplistic definition. Um, and it's more looking at instead of putting all of your money in the bank in cash or putting all of your money in Australian shares or putting all of your money in Tesla, it's actually talking about <laughs> spreading your money around in different asset classes, maybe putting some money in the Australian stock market, some money in the US, maybe not putting all of your money in one single property. 
um, and actually thinking about using different asset classes to your benefit and also to lower your risk over the long term as well. Mm. I think a really neat way to package this is that imagine you have 10 different investments and one of those investments does really, really well and one of them does really, really badly. If you diversified, if you spread your money evenly over those 10 investments, your, your portfolio is never going to do worse than the worst investment and it's never going to do better than the best investment. It's going to be somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a really neat way to frame it insofar as you think about like what's the maximum return, what's the minimum return, probably zero. Um, you're going to be somewhere in the middle and depending on how well you diversify and what you invest in, obviously um, you want it to be the upper end of that range. But um, that's just a really simple way to do it. So you're never going to, if you put 100% of your money in one thing, that could either be zero or it could be anything else. You just don't really know. So I guess that's the the main crux of that one. Mm. And I guess like if you're putting all of your money into one single property, then that is sort of very minimal diversification because you have your entire wealth is like stuck in one single asset class, in one single suburb, in one single country, and you don't have exposure to other potential asset classes where you could have a greater return over time. But it also is more risk that if anything happens to that house, you don't have any other, have money in any other asset classes as well to spread out um, your risk and sort of diversify your money over that time as well. Yeah, we talked about diversification a bit when um, Chris Walesby was on the show last week from ETF Securities and he talked about having, I guess, two different portfolios for a younger person versus an older person. Um, Chris's definition of an older person would be, I think he said something like 80% fixed income and 20% shares. I'd probably think that that's a bit too um, conservative, um, but you can get a sense of what he was think- What he was talking about was thinking about your different investments um, as buckets and I guess spreading them evenly depending on what your risk profile is, depending on how long you have to invest. That's all um, a sign of good diversification. Mm, and it's also a good way to, if you want to lower risk profile, this is what your super funds do as well. If you go to the super your super fund now and you you see there's different investment options and you can see there's a high risk, a, a low risk, a balanced, um, they're going to change um, those different risk profiles. Use um, low risk products like fixed interest in cash, and high more risky products like investments in shares and private equity products and they mix them together to give you a blend of whatever they define as balanced or high growth. And so you're instantly getting diversified by what you pick. If you pick a balanced fund, it is diversified, um, but they're just doing it on your behalf. So they're investing in the cash and the shares and the private equity on your behalf. So it's more about the super funds probably doing it on your behalf or or maybe you've chosen cash, which we would would stay away from. But the cash, that suddenly you're not diversified because you're only investing in one asset class and you're only getting the returns of one asset class and you're losing out on access to everything else. So I think one diversification is a really cool tool, especially when you're investing and you're starting out. If you are quite worried about investing and risk and losing money, you don't need to put all of your money into shares and be 100% invested in the market, you could just put 5% of your money. So you, it's quite a low risk profile if you're thinking about 95% in cash, 5% invested. Um, so you still get to try investing, but it's also it does really change what your risk profile looks like and you're investing in two different asset classes. Yeah, I tell you a really easy way to think about what 
some financial planners use as a rule of thumb uh, for diversification is. So most people that listen to the show now know that we have shares as one of the major asset classes. So that could be Australian shares or it could be international shares. And then on the other side, we have this thing called fixed income, right? And now we've talked about fixed income a little bit, and that's like what bonds and it's like government debt and all this type of weird stuff that no one really understands. But the other thing that can go into fixed income is term deposits because it's effectively a fixed income, right? So that's where it comes from. So if we have two different asset classes, just think about it as two. We have shares and we have fixed income. One of the things that financial planners or old school financial planners at least would say is that uh, you want uh, 100 minus your age, I believe it is, in shares. Wait, so 100 minus your age. If I was 20, that'd be 80% in shares. Yeah, 100 minus your age in shares. So if I was, say, 30, which I am, I'm nearly 30, uh, 100 minus my age is 70. So I would have around about 70% of my money in shares. Now, that's a really easy way. I'm not saying that that's right for everyone, but it's one of the old school tools that a financial planner might use to decide what would be like a, just as a general way of thinking based on your age, solely on your age. That's kind of one of the ways that you could think about it. Mm. Mm. And there's definitely it's just, it's, a, a lot of rules of thumb out there that you you can have a look at. I mean, like having your age in bonds, that's, so, I think sometimes there's too much diversification as a young person that you can become, you can end up in a risk profile that's not going to benefit you down the long track. But um, yeah. I guess that's the benefit of it that you can choose, you can pick and choose which asset classes you invest in and what feels right to you. Um, and you don't have to solely be in one asset class. Mm, absolutely. Um, and there's so many different, like you said, di- different rules of thumb. Um, what, what, I think one of the, the easier ways to talk about this, Kate, you mentioned having too much of your money in cash, and I totally agree with that. Like, You can go one way or the other. Um, what are some of the ways that diversification can go bad? Yeah, so I think sometimes diversification can work against you because there's some aspects of your finances where it's just not practical to invest in 10 ETFs investing in the Australian 200 index. Um, So I think in some, like maybe you want to, but you're going to have to pay brokerage for each one. You're going to have 10 different statements for tax time. You're you're going to have to keep on track of it, make sure everything, your taxable numbers provided. So I think in some aspects, like that can be too much diversification, like diversifying multiple times within the exact same asset class. Um, that's probably where I'd see. So sometimes I, um, young people tell me that they've invested in, I mean, three different robo-advisors that are doing exactly the same thing. So I, yeah. I think sometimes like, that might be too much diversification. Yes, you're maybe trying to spread your risk by using multiple providers, but it ends up making your finances much more complicated. Um, and also using too many brokers is something I see as well with young people and I've done it myself and that it just gets so complicated it doesn't really reduce your risk having 10 different brokers and having one stock in each one um, if you have a holder identification number. So it, you just end up losing things and losing paperwork and losing track of dividends as well. So um, I guess there's some of the ways that you can have too much diversification in your broader financial life. Mm. Yeah, and we, we talk about 
that a lot. Like um, I guess one of the other ways, if you have too much diversification, is um, the one if you have too little. We talk about an example would be someone who, you know, maybe they work in the property industry or construction center, a sector, and they have their their number one investment is an investment property, um, and then they invest with other people that invest in property, or they have a business that invests in property. You know, people don't really think about, I guess, not just a portfolio, but I guess their lifestyle as well, their income. Does their income come from retail? And do they have investments in retail companies? Well, then all of a sudden when coronavirus strikes, you know, that leaves you pretty high and dry. And so that's a that's a that's an example of how it can go wrong too. It's not necessarily just in the portfolio. Um, what does here's an interesting one for you, Kate. What does diversification look like for you in real life? Yeah, so I think for me it means finding, I think this is what we've talked about before, but finding my news and information from many different sources. And I I don't think people think about that as a term like that in a way of diversifying your finances. But I think for me, getting information and getting advice and getting news from different sources is really important in my broader diversification for my finances. Uh, it also means I'm spreading my money in different asset classes. So I'm not putting it all in the Australian market. I'm not putting it all in one property. I'm using different asset classes um, in a way that works for me and a way that means I'm spreading my risk into different areas. Um, it also means mm-hmm. that I'm talking to multiple people if I'm going to make a major financial decision. I'm not just seeing one person or asking one advisor or asking just Owen. I'm talking to multiple people about things if I'm going to make hey, a big financial <laughs> Yeah, Owen is a good opinion, but it's always good to get a few. Um, and also using, for me, using multiple banks just to have some money in because we've seen, especially last year, there were some major banking outages and people were left high and dry at the checkout or at the restaurant, not able to use their card. And for someone who doesn't really like using cash, which is me, um, it's always important to have at least two bank accounts and transaction accounts with debit cards linked that you can use um, to access your money. Um, So there's some of the things that I personally do to diversify my broader financial life. What about you, Owen? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so uh, when it comes to investment, I'll start with investments. Um, so when it comes to investments, it's a really way, easy way to capture um, a lot of the audience here is, you know, we use that core and satellite approach, which we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. So we talk about how you can, you know, with ETFs, like you said before, many people own, think by collecting more ETFs, it's almost like Pokemon cards. You collect <laughs> as many as you can and that's better. It's not really the case. Like you could have four, two, three, four, five ETFs, and that's probably more than enough in your core. And then you can sprinkle around the outside all of your different individual shares or other opportunities. But for me, it's always been, you know, the big debate in Australia has always been around property and shares. Mm. So one of the things there is I've always said, you know, don't just pick one or the other. Why not have both? So when it comes to property, if you're saving for a deposit or you have a house and you've got mortgage repayments, that's not an excuse not to, that's not an excuse to avoid investing in shares. You should be doing both, in my opinion, um, because you want exposure to both asset classes. And we're probably going to find out this year that people that invested solely in property had a pretty bad experience, whereas you look at the share markets near all-time highs, you'll find it that those those people have done pretty well. So um, I guess the, the, the lesson there is that you could probably, and this is something that I do too, is I've never been in a rush to buy property because I've always 
been happy to wait for my opportunity to buy something cheaper. Um, and I was always saved for both. So that's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing is, Kate, something that we always, always, always come back to, which is this concept of, you could call it lifelong learning, but it's really just investing in yourself. Because a lot of people with their careers and their income, which is a function of their career, right, most of the time, um, what they do is they tend to become um, an expert in one field and then they kind of settle on that as that's their only track in life or for their career. Whereas I'm, I'm a very big advocate for learning lots from different industries and different, um, I guess, careers, fields, whatever, however you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, sorry. For example, like one of the things that we're doing this week at work um, is the team has a study week. So that means that everyone in our business gets a week to study something that's not finance mm. and that's short courses, it is um, whatever they want it to be really. It, it relates to work, of course, but it's really just anything. So, for example, it could be coding, it could be marketing, it could be search engine optimization, <laughs> it could be, um, I don't know, maybe how to grow plants. It really doesn't matter. Like just learn because when you learn more and you become the kind of the a specialist generalist, so to speak, you can pick up the tools on another job or side hustle or make money in different ways. And that's what I find is um, most beneficial over a five-year or longer-term time horizon. We find a lot of people that really do well in one thing and then they find, oh, that's been disrupted by technology. I have to find a new career. Um, well, why not just keep learning and, and try new things? So these are two really long-winded answers, Kate. But basically, <laughs> you know, the two biggest assets in most people's lives are like what they do in the share market or their super and their um, their property life. And then there's also um, how do you invest in yourself to get the most out of yourself over the long run. And those are two ways that I diversify my knowledge and, and my, my finances. Mm, and I think those things are going to be more important than ever, especially the building up of different skill sets and, and diversifying your knowledge over the long term. And that's not something that happens overnight. So you need to work on your personal diversification every day so that you can become adaptable in the future. And I, I think they said one of the important skills in the future is just going to be that ability to learn new skills quickly and apply them. So suddenly your employer's like, I want you to start doing this for us and you can quickly get your head around the technology or the tool and start producing whatever they need for you. So uh, I mm. think the more you do that in your personal life, the more um, beneficial it's going to be for your work in the future. Definitely. You're more employable if you have multiple skills, right? Mm. You might what, what it says on the tin, like you might have gone to uni to study accounting, right? But if you know nothing about how to use Microsoft Office, then you're probably not going to get a job. Or if you, you don't know how to, um, you know, use email, like these are just softer skills, or you don't know how to communicate with people. Like these are all different things that you need to invest in. You need to diversify mm. your skill set. We talk about, um, so in, if you go to the more philosophical end of investing and um, people that, you know, look down upon the others, um, what they talk about is this um, lat lattice work of mental models. So they talk about, um, I guess, the big picture ideas from every industry. So it might be like the big picture ideas from physics or biology or health or whatever. And people try and learn as much as they can from every industry, like the big rocks, the big ideas. So then they can apply themselves, those, apply those tools to different sectors or different careers later on in life. And it's a bit of a wishy-washy concept for this podcast, I know, but it's something that I try and do. I try and learn a lot about different things so then I can apply them in different ways so then if something would ever happen 
um, I can respond to that as quickly as possible. Mm. Yeah, and I think anyhow, <laughs> that's <laughs> definitely a bit yes. of a rant for a Monday morning. <laughs> yes, you can tell what books Owen's been reading on the weekend. Yep. Um, okay, so how about how can diversification work against you? I think this is a good question, Kate. Yeah, I think I think it can, um, especially in that what we mentioned before, you having too many ETS like that can end up you're losing track of things. Uh, I've seen before in some of our friends from the older generation that they're where it's a lot more they're used to doing things on paper that they've put too many shares in different brokerage accounts and hmm. some aren't even on holder identification numbers, which. I mention a lot because I think it's important to make sure you know what yours is. Um, and then they just com- completely lose track of these shares because no one's telling them, hey, you own this share, you need to update your contact details. So I think it, in that, in terms of like an administrative point of view, um, you can have way too much diversification and it can work against you. Um, mm-hmm. Also, we talk a lot about super funds and having yeah. Having 10 different super funds, each with five grand in them, is not going to help you. How many you do you have? Um, two, because one's uh, a no-fee account from a previous employer. So otherwise, I would only have one. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. Go on. Sorry. Interrupted yeah. you. But mo- most super funds do have fees. So um, uh, if they do, you need, a, you need to start having a think about, do you need five super funds? And you might be paying insurance on five of them and you're probably paying pretty hefty fees mm-hmm. on five of them. And so you can actually go to the MyGov website, you can roll them over, you can have a look at some of the comparison sites um, and have a look at what's the best fund for you. And you can pick a fund and you can pick out the diversification mix that works for you. If you look at balance, the fund will actually tell you what that mix is, how much is in property, how much is in shares, Australian, international, how much is in fixed interest. So you can actually... You've got that power to make that decision. Yep, totally. Um, you, we mentioned one before, which was this e, these ETFs, this, um, having too many ETFs. It's like super funds, um, I think, in this respect, probably. You probably have a few more ETFs than you do super funds, but even with ETFs now, they're becoming more like super funds. Mm. Um, quick pop quiz for you, Kate. Got you on the, got, put you on the uh, spot here. Um, how many ETFs do you have? Do you uh, know, Roughly. Uh, maybe 10. <laughs> <laughs> 10? Okay, I think I've got about three. I think I've got about three in my portfolio, but they could probably go up, you know, maybe a few more, maybe to five, but I think I've got about three at the moment. But I've got a lot of shares. I've probably got about uh, 10 to 20 shares, maybe 10 to 25 different companies um, that I'm invested in. And outside of that, I've now got a property, so that's kind of cool. Um, okay. There, there's one more thing here where we talk about, I guess, diversification and having too much of it. Um, I want to, I want to talk about. Uh, it doesn't always work with diversification. So some people think, like, they'll listen to this podcast, they'll sit by the dinner table tonight, and then they'll think, all right, you know, I'm going to put this much in. I'm going to put. I'm going to buy five ETFs, and I'm going to save some money for a property, and then I'm going to put some some money in cash and some money in this stuff called fixed income, and then. In a week from now, they find that their portfolio is still fallen, so it's fallen five percent or whatever. And then they'll come back on the po- they'll come back and listen to the podcast, and they'll be thinking, "You guys told me to diversify, and I'm still like exposed to all of this risk." And the reason is that your your portfolio will still fall, even if you diversify. No matter how much you diversify, you will still be exposed to some risk. And this is the really important point, Kate, is that diversification 
isn't like they say it's a free lunch, but it's not like your golden ticket to having no risk. Even yeah. the big super funds fall. Even uh, the best investors in the world experience what we call volatility or the random ups and downs. Um, they experience bad months or bad years. You know, so when we say diversify, we don't mean we're not saying it's like the golden. Uh, is it the golden chalice that you're not going to get <laughs> everything from this? So just keep that in mind. And, and Kate, can you tell us why? Even if we diversify, why we would still be exposed to some risk? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a, a big example is uh, the Royal Commission brought up last year that some super funds where people had chosen the cash-only option, their balances had gone backwards due to inflation and fees. So they were still exposed mm-hmm. to risk. Their money still did not stay at the same balance that it started with, even though it was cash. It was going backwards. And I think there's there's always risk in investing and I mean apart from maybe putting it in a term deposit but then you're still exposed to there's a risk of inflation um, mm-hmm. with your money losing purchase power over time but I think you have to if you are going to invest you need to embrace that there will be an element of risk to it it's not something that's going to happen overnight it's not something you should do if you can't bear the thought of your money going down tomorrow so if you invest the money in the share market, you it's not going to stay the same for a minute. It's going to change mm. um, during the weekday when the market's open, the value is going to keep fluctuating and it's not something that's going to be set in stone. So I think you need to, if you are going to approach investing, you need to be comfortable with the idea that there is an element of risk to it. The amount of risk depends on what you're investing in and in, in how much you are diversifying. But it's it's important to understand that, and that the diversification doesn't eliminate risk completely, but it does mm-hmm. reduce some of the risk by being too concentrated in only one stock. So there is a lot of risk if you are only putting your money into one single ETF or one single stock. But mm-hmm. by diversifying, you can um, lower that risk as well. Yep. Yeah, we talked about that So with the example at the top of the show, which was, um, you know, if you put all your money in one idea you're exposed to 100% of the returns that come with that mm. one idea whereas if you spread it across a few you might not do better than the best but you won't do worse than the worst um, and we talked about um, you talked about cash there Kate and that people who don't take risk so no matter how well they diversify even if they don't even get to that conversation mm. they're just thinking you know I'm just going to keep all my money in cash well that's actually a really bad thing too that's at the opposite end of the spectrum that's really conservative and that would be what I would say is bad diversification too. So I know people in my personal life who have never bought a share or never bought an ETF or never done anything really with their money. And that is a very, very big risk going forward. Mm. On the other end, we have people, and I've heard stories of people buying one stock like Tesla or Afterpay, <laughs> all these crazy things. Money. Yeah, it's crazy to think that that is a sound investment strategy. Mm. So you've got opposite end of the spectrum we want to be somewhere in the middle and maybe we won't get too deep in the weeds here but there are effectively two different types of risk as academics put it there's the risk there's there are the risks that you can diversify so for example um if you owned um one investment property or you own 10 investment properties in one suburb right but then that suburb turns out to be a hotspot for coronavirus right (laughs) all 10 of your investments are in one area and that could have been diversified if you put 10 different houses in 10 different suburbs, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a that's an example of what you can diversify. However, 
if all of the property market was to get hit at the same time, that's what we call market risk, then you would still be exposed to the falls from across all 10, mm. right? And so we have a specific risk, which in this case would have been coronavirus for a particular suburb, which could have been diversified. And we have a market risk, which was all of property in Australia could not be avoided. And yeah. so that's, I guess, the best way to illustrate the differences between the two types of risk. We've got some show notes on this, Kate, because it gets a bit complicated and it's more for the people that really want to get the most from, I guess, their, their learning. But um, I'd encourage you to go and check that out. So just to recap, Kate, maybe we can, because there was a lot of concepts and what have you. Um, what Can you give us a bit of a recap of this episode and some of the actionable takeaways? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, the big things that I want you to take away that sometimes diversification can not like can stop working in your favor if it stops you making any decisions and if it if you just are saying well I need to invest in 10 different ETFs of the Australian 200 then suddenly diversification might be working against you or you want to be in five different super funds because you think that's diversification so I think it's firstly understanding what is diversification have a look at money smart they have a lot of resources and we've linked them in the show notes as well so thinking about diversification mm-hmm. in the context of investing and your own portfolio then also we talked about thinking about diversification and how that looks like in your own financial situation and whether that's getting different sources of news getting a second opinion on your financial decisions or not putting all your money into one single stock Um, And then we also talked about approaching diversification in your broader life and how much diversification is too much and when when diversification does work against you. So I think that some good things to just have a think about this week Um, and Mm. and talk to your partner, talk to your family and talk to your friends about how do they approach diversification in their life and are there elements that maybe they're only getting their news from one single source. And I think that's a good thing just broadly at the moment of not getting all your information from one source, especially during the global pandemic that we're facing. It's important to diversify your sources of news um, in your broader broader life and diversify where you get your information from, especially if you're spending a bit of time learning about your finances. We always provide a lot of different websites in the show notes. So have a read of different sources and different, because there's a lot of different definitions and ideas of diversification and risk and different financial advisors will have different ideas of what a diversified portfolio looks like. So have a look at different people's points of view and make sure you're diversifying your information. Yep, great one, Kate. So we and just to clarify something we talked about earlier, when we said twenty percent of our of your I guess your age um, in bonds, so as a percentage of your portfolio, I gotta admit, I don't have my age in bonds. So I don't have thirty percent of my uh, portfolio in bonds. Um, because I just don't think or, or fixed income for that matter. Yeah. Um, because I, I think my personal risk profile differs a bit from that. But I think there are a lot of rules of thumb in this episode that you can take away from um, and you can apply to your own situation. You mentioned a really good one there, which is financial news. We did, we did I think, one or two episodes on that, Kate? Mm, we've done a I few. Think- we did one in like particular focus on our current situation and thinking about news as well. Um, yep. Yeah, and also we, we did an episode a while back on thinking about the future of work and careers and how to yep. actually become a lifelong learner and thinking about that approach in your life as well. So I think mm-hmm. it's a culmination of our different thoughts on um, income streams, side hustles, because that's another way of diversifying your income, reducing the risk that you have no income if you lose your job, um, and even passive income from investments that provides you a different income source. So um, it's just 
lots of different things to think about, the way you consume information, where your income comes from, where your money's invested, and just sort of viewing that with a a broad diversification lens I think is really helpful Um, and that's something that's really helped me with my short time on this earth. (laughs) I was going to say my life, but, I mean, I don't. You're too young for that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not this old, wizened person sitting in the couch in a rocking chair. Okay, Kate. So how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, so if you want to read more of my stuff, um, I'm available at howtomoney.online or at howtomoneyaus on Twitter and Instagram. Cool. And I'm at Owen Rask on Twitter, or you can – email us or find out more about us um, by visiting www.ras.com.au. Kate, um, this was a diversification 2.0. We did diversification 1.0 quite a few months ago, so people can go back to listen to that. Next week, we've got um, some property content coming back to the airways, so that will be exciting. Yes, we've had a lot of requests for more property content, and it's going to be more interesting this episode because Owen's actually got um, some uh, skin in the game this time. (laughs) Yes, I do indeed. So we'll share all of those details next week. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks again, Owen, and thanks for listening.